If you're going to constantly iterate a business and mm-hmm. constantly reinvent it but not lose its core competence, mm-hmm. you have to be able to manage pain. Culture change and strategy is a contact sport. It's not. It is <laughs> it's absolutely. It is belly to belly, eye to eye. Yeah. So any any CEO or person purporting to be a leader who goes away, designs a strategy or a plan, sends an email, or creates a glossy brochure, or puts it on the website and expects all the staff to read it and then go along with it, is deluded. Clarity is not certainty. Yeah, there's a big difference between yeah. it's all, always being clear, is always communicating and always communicating what you're seeing and adjusting and mm-hmm. adjusting and adjusting. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not certainty. The only certainty is things will go wrong and we will fight about it. Hey there, my name is Daniel Franco, and this is the Creating Synergy podcast, your business and leadership podcast, where we speak to high-profile leaders and thinkers about their careers and dig deep by asking the questions we all want the answers to, uncovering their stories, strategies, leadership lessons, and their secrets to success. And today on the show, we have the great man, Paul Edgington, CEO at Vino Mofo, and also well known for his 18 and a half year stint as CEO of SYC Limited. So Paul's a great thinker, a strategist, and a business leader. And he talks to us about his journey and his learning experiences as CEO and how he led SYC to become one of the largest and most innovative for-purpose organizations in Australia. So he is an advocate for change and evolution in business. And today we discuss the importance of communication as a leader, the art of accountability, and we also discuss the growth of the e-commerce sensation Vino Mofo, which I must say is the only place that I will buy my wine. Last but not least, we also touched on some real-life scenarios that have played out in many organizations and Paul shared his thoughts on how he would deal with them if he was a leader that was involved. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Paul Edgington. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco. Today, we've got the great man, Paul Edgington, on the show, CEO of uh, Vino Mofo, previously CEO of SYC for 18 plus years and a former entrepreneur of the year as well. Yep. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um. Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty. There's a lot of experience in your uh, in your career. There's a, and everything that I know about you and uh, everything, every conversation we've had to date, I've almost um, written every word that's come out of your mouth down. <laughs> that's very so nice. let, I'd love to just hear, um, and, and the listeners might want to learn a little bit more about your your growth to where you were and how you started. I know you you, you know started off with a few little startups in early in your career, and then and then you. Found your way into CEO, see, being a CEO. Yep. Um, it'd be interesting to learn a little bit more about your your growth and uh, your journey through your career. Sure. Uh, I started off uh, when I left school wanting to be a journalist. Uh, so yeah, I worked, good. studied really hard to get into journalism school at McGill, which um, back in those days was the only um, Bachelor of Journalism you could get into. So it was um, people from around the country fought to get in there. So I worked really hard to get in there. And uh, within... And it's because I like writing and I like listening to people and I like people's stories. Um, but I didn't like journalism when I got <laughs> in it. 
which is, you know, yeah. be careful. Yeah. No. Say that. But I, I'm, I'm I, I then <laughs> I, I transferred to communications yeah. um, at McGill, which, again, back then, that was a long time ago, but back, back then um, communications is what the people who didn't get into journalism did. Uh, so it was kind of like this, what are you doing going this, yeah. backwards? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't backwards at all. I, my dad um, had said to me, in the future, communications and having good communication skills will be more important than it's ever been before. Um, and this was, he was saying this in the 80s yeah. before the internet, well before done. podcasts and yeah. all those sort of things. But he, he thought it was really important. So uh, I did communications. Uh, and then uh, while I was studying, of course, I worked like uh, lots of students do. Mm. Um, can, I, can I just pick on the communications thing? What yeah. was it? What were some of the things that really stood out for you in that, you know, in your communications uh, study? The one that still sticks with me all this time later is critical thinking mm. uh, and professional writing. So uh, I see so many people that cannot structure their thoughts and communication in a way that they, they often do it either chronologically forward or reverse mm-hmm. as opposed to what is the impact that I'm trying to have or the insight I'm trying to convey mm. and then structuring it that way mm-hmm. um, and also using poorly constructed language so mm-hmm. that lo- lots of um, cliche or, or terms like that, so not communicating properly. Yeah, okay. Uh, so they were, the, but critical thinking and professional writing were the two things that really st- struck out for me mm. um, because I was, uh, I have a, a higher capacity for abstract reasoning. So for me, it was a, a, a challenge that had this racing mind and all these ideas and then not being able to communicate them or translate them. Was had had been something that if I hadn't have done communications would have frustrated mm. me to tears. Yeah, mm. I reckon you're right. I think it's a big gap you see, especially in leadership, that they are brilliant minds, right? They've ended up where they are, but the inability to take what's in their brain and put it in a way that people can understand. I think those who can do that well generally succeed more, so don't they? Yeah, this, even the discipline of. Uh, slowing down the, what you're thinking mm. and uh, pacing it. So, you know, type one thinking, so fast thinking, yeah. reactive thinking, and then matching it with slow thinking to go, so how do the two match mm. um, is just is, is really important. And also then being able to help others do that, to mm. slow them down or, you know, in some, some people have a really strong fairness gene. So you see them as soon as something that they think is not right or not correct mm. um, or insults them, up comes the amygdala and they're like, I'm going to do this. And you think, okay, that's good. Is that the outcome you're looking for? Like, no, but. So, okay. So after but, something nonsensical is yes, going to come out, yes, right? right? That doesn't make any sense to what's what are you actually looking to achieve? Mm. Um, and they don't, they're thinking in terms of, yeah, but I'm insulted by that. Mm. Yeah, big deal for yeah. you. Like, yeah, and I need I'm, I'm, I've got that righteousness coming out of me. I need to. They need to know. What they need I, to understand. Yeah, These people right. need yeah. to understand. Okay, yeah. do they though? Yeah, um, exactly. Like it, it, that might be a great aspiration. Mm. It might be a good 
thing along the way, but what's the outcome you're trying to achieve? Yeah. And and it's that slowing down and reconstructing and going, what's actually the outcome you're trying to achieve mm. as opposed to the what are you feeling like right now and what are you mm. reacting to? Mm. What's going on inside you? Yeah, it's not, it doesn't mean don't react. Yeah. Sometimes you, you know, yeah. you're programmed to do That's that. That's that Daniel Kahneman book, Thinking yeah. Fast and Slow. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right, so sorry, we digress yeah. back into your so, – uh, <laughs> I, yeah, when I, I, I got into uh, – from uni, I uh, I worked in pizza shops, uh, Dialadinos, um, <laughs> back in those days and I started, you know, when I was 16, got my driver's licence, yeah. delivered pizzas. Brilliant. Um, and as a 16-year-old, I was like, I think I can uh, – I, I can – Run this place, yeah. So uh, was that just, was that the arrogance from a sixteen year old oh, point of view? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't need to go to school anymore. <laughs> I already knew everything. <laughs> so, um, but I, you know, I I liked um, I liked working, uh, and I liked. Uh, so then I I became I watched the the, the owner of the store um, manage it, um, and like just watched everything he did. Mm. I was like I can do that. Mm. Uh, and then increasingly he let me do that and then I found that I was managing people older than me as a 16 and 17-year-old mm. uh, and found that equally like super interesting, um, the craft of doing that super interesting. I wasn't very good at it mm. um, because I was 16 and I yeah. knew everything and yeah. realised that people don't just do as you tell them just because you're the boss. Yeah. In fact, some people go the other way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, if you don't get that right, so but I yeah I I did that and then I worked in a photo shop as well uh, and then I started doing um, some photography of, for car yards that like along Main North Road back yeah. in those days yeah. before we had car sales and all of that you had car ads in newspapers yeah yeah uh, and the photos were pretty crummy they weren't good and so I started taking photos of cars for the car yards yeah. Uh, yeah. and. I a I loved cars and b I was like this is this side hustle which it wasn't called side hustle back in those yeah. days it was just um, taught me a lot about um, a people would pay a lot if you were able to do something better than they could do it for themselves yeah and so you offered value for doing it mm-hmm. and if that value meant that they could sell cars either more quickly or at a better price because mm-hmm. you made them look better. So again, I'll, by this stage, I was maybe uh, twenty-one. Yeah, um, I'd I'd spent a, a year, <laughs> I'd spent a year trying to sell cinema advertising and yeah. doing the really hard going through the yellow pages, calling businesses, trying to sell cinema yeah, advertising. Wow. So, um, so you learn a little bit of your sales craft very early in your really early, yeah, career. and 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 that hustle, and yeah. and you have to get a thicker skin, mm. be ready to put mm-hmm. yourself out there, and mm-hmm. do all of those sort of things. So. But that was my first business was yeah. uh, was, was um, doing photography. That's uh, brilliant. Mm. It's brilliant that you saw that idea though. Like I think, or is it? Did it? I mean, was it well, something? Well, it feels that... like it, it. feels like it was more um, opportunistic than that. It was like okay. uh, these guys, and it was. It's a trait that I guess I still have <laughs> um, that either both amuses and terrifies my wife is um, <laughs> just sort of being fairly frank. Um, not in a rude way, I hope, but these guys were coming in and bringing their photos in. And I was like, is this for the newspaper, is it? Yeah. And they go, why? is not very good. I said, no. No. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, some people would either say get lost yeah. or other people would go. And one guy, 
said, we, could you do better? I said, of course I could. Yeah, well, I had no idea. I didn't yeah. know whether no. I could. But I was like, it couldn't be worse than what Just you've done. A slightly better camera than what you've got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, With some different perspectives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and I read some photography books and I got a camera and <laughs> went and did it better. I love it. Um, so it was more opportunistic. Were you interested in photography at all? Is this like this? Well, I worked in a photo shop. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I was, I had sort of. So you had that interest there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Just a quick note, this episode is brought to you by Synergy IQ, leaders in enabling change. Synergy IQ are the ones you call when the change or challenge seems so complex and you don't know where to start. But more importantly, we're the ones you call when you want to make a change that will actually last. If you want to check them out, it's at synergyiq.com.au. So, so tell me, that that then grew and then you've, um, you've then grown on to starting another company after that. Well, again, I, I went to... Um, I went to Sydney with photography, not with my photography business, but I still it, I was doing uh, back in those days they had Pixie Photo and Portrait Place. It was yeah, like, yeah. you know, um, and I was managing stores there and then I became an area manager and they asked me to come to Sydney uh, and I moved to Sydney having never visited there. Yeah, <laughs> so wow. um, landed there, just said yes. Yep. Um, and again, that's probably been a theme throughout my career is sort of like, Starting with yes and then figuring it out yeah, after that. Yeah, the Richard Branson uh, model, isn't it? Yeah, well, I didn't, didn't know it at the time. It was yeah. just like uh, – yeah, but also I, my my Scottish grandmother would say things like don't ask poor people how to make money. Mm. So um, it's like I went over to Sydney. I worked with uh, those guys. Um, then in that – there was that period in the 90s where every middle manager in the world was made redundant mm. um, through TQM and all of that mm-hmm. flat management structure stuff. So I'd moved to Sydney and, and nine months later found myself redundant oh, and wow. going, I can't even afford to go home, let alone <laughs> live here. Uh, but I went to a, an interview um, to work in a company called, what's it called, Australian Water Ventures, but it had... Um, it was backed by a guy called Peter Ritchie, who was the guy mm. who uh, was a, the chairman at the time of McDonald's. Okay. Bob Mansfield, who was the CEO of Fairfax, and Bob Joss, who was the CEO of Westpac, yeah. were all investors in this business. So your grandma's words were coming into your head. Yeah, and I was like, I'll do anything. Yeah. To just work for you. Be guys. around these people. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I worked with them uh, and uh, learned a bit about the business. Didn't go all. Uh, to plan and so that was something that I learned was like even the big guys don't get it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that stage I was 24 and I, I foolishly sort of said, oh, here's what I think you should have done. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that now. Yeah. Like when I look at it and go, this 24-year-old, yeah. like, well, here's what you should have done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Your 16-year-old self was coming back. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but fortunately um, Pete Ritchie, um, said, all right, well, you do it mm-hmm. then. Uh, and so I set up a thing called Edge Marketing Proprietary, which is my first proper company. Mm. Uh, and I did the domestic side of the water filtration business that he and the guys still own um, while they still did the commercial side uh, and got that up and going. He used to always say to me, make sure you've got an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. And I never understood what that meant mm. well at the time I was like, I'm, I'm, 
why would I want to get out? I'm trying to build an empire that mm. my kids can. Yeah. Um, then the Sydney water crisis happened and our sales went through the roof. Yeah. And you could see every man and his dog then wanted to sell water filters. So there's all this competition now piling into the marketplace. Mm. And I was like, this is what exit strategy means because now instead of selling water filters, I should be in the business of selling water filtration businesses. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, and my daughter came along as well. Uh, so I sold the business back into the main business and came back here and in South Australia and moved home. Yeah, brilliant. So got out. But that was an amazing experience for a really, at a, at a young age to work around those guys yeah. and understand what, he invested in my business, so managing investors in your business, um, even understand. Like I just had 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 no previous exposure yeah. to any of that stuff. What did it What did it grow to? Like from a people perspective, or oh no, we only we only really grew from me yeah. to twenty people. Yeah, okay. so it wasn't massive. Yeah, uh, and but we, still a reasonable size. Yeah, and we grew from. Like zero to a couple of million dollars yeah. in a in a couple of years yeah, from okay. scratch. So Brilliant. it wasn't like it wasn't a, a conglomeration, but for somebody in his twenties uh, who moved effort, somewhere yeah. uh, where, that he'd never visited before, um, it was it, for me. It was really empowering. It was mm. really good. Um, I got ripped off. Like I remember when we were, gosh, as the business started taking off, um, we put our built all our margins on floating these things from America to Australia. Mm. Then we needed them overnight so we started flying them and <laughs> it cost more to fly them yeah. over. Um, I had my own plumbers doing the installations but then when the water crisis happened we needed to go from two plumbers to 20 plumbers so we started employing plumbing companies and having pallets of filters delivered to their plumbing warehouse um, and then that, half of them disappeared. Oh, wow. And... The guys that we had employed to do it were like, well, we don't, they never arrived. So I learned about picking, packing, fulfillment, tracking, like uh, all that stuff. I was yeah. so naive. I was just like, yeah, but you'll be good guys yeah, and deliver yeah. it. They, they all, they all flog one free yeah, for themselves yeah. before they installed which we, it. So which, which you'd be learning those lessons in the e-commerce world now, world now, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but so. back back then, yeah. you were. <laughs> I was just like learning. I thought, the same thing in myself. You know, this is why my dad never wanted me to be a tradesman because I'd have no fingers left. I'd buzz one off and go, I don't know how that happened. Buzz another one off and go, I've got a suspicion it's that. By the third one, I'd be like, now I've only got one left. <laughs> Brilliant. So then, so from from the filtration, you come back to Adelaide. Where yeah. what, what happened then? So then I I, I did some. Uh, I worked with um, two people called um, Kate Costello and Peter Harris in a small consulting firm called mm-hmm. Proqualis and yeah. they were amazing. I learned so much from them and they, w- working with them, again, when you think about this, 1999, uh, their aspiration was to build a customer survey tool and a staff survey tool for to do online surveys. Mm-hmm. Now, 99 Lots of people didn't even have email addresses. So, and we're on dial up speed. So, online surveys that we do now, Survey Monkeys, whatever, no big deal. Um, And I remember speaking to the, in 2000, speaking to the founder of Survey Monkey, going, So, how are you charging and how are you, you know, building your surveys and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah. 
and pretty much every decision that we made was different from theirs. <laughs> <laughs> and and their, even their name, right? Back again, this is SARS now. Is is everybody knows SARS is coronavirus yeah, and all of that sort of yeah. stuff. So, but in two thousand, nobody heard of SARS. No. So ours was called the Survey and Reporting System, oh, or go. SARS for oh, short. This was a stupid name called Survey Monkey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, you could. It started from there. You're like yeah. everything was not right. Yeah. The idea, though, was amazing and visionary, um, just not executed well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but we did that, um, and so after we did that for a couple of years, and that didn't work out. Um, and then I joined SYC for a year, uh, and my it was one of those things of like. Joining a not-for-profit was the antithesis of everything I thought I was going to do mm. in my career. Yeah. Uh, so what drew you to to go there? Uh, it was for personal reasons. My my uh, I, I went through a relationship breakdown mm-hmm. uh, and thought I just need to um, do something nice for the world yeah, for a year okay. and work out. Yeah. Work Give out back a little bit. Yeah, and and work work myself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but my job then was they they just merged with another mm-hmm. entity, and my job was to pretty much come in, sell the assets of the bit that they um, acquired to get the money back, and then shut down part of it, and then grow another part of it or leave. So um, that part was called it was a training business, and they had the previous owners of that business had bought these massive machines that nobody needed. Mm. Used, mm. so I sold them off, and then started building the training business. Sacked all of the customers. It was funny <laughs> going through and sacking most of the customers. And the the people in the business at the time were like, "You can't sack all the customers. Where our revenue comes from?" So yeah, there's lots of revenue, but there's no profit. Mm. They're all like, we spend more yeah. serving them than we make. Yeah. So we will be more profitable if we sack everybody and you stay home. Yeah. Uh, and that was this crazy. Not for profits don't talk yeah, like that. No. And I was like, no. then what's the point? Mm. Um, yeah. And so it's I about impact, right? That's what. Yeah, but I wasn't. My my language then was still this sharp commercial language that was like, you idiots don't really know what you're doing because you don't make any money. Yeah. And <laughs> it was just mm. such a. It was. I really thought that that was clever. Mm. And it was just such an ass. Yeah, I, I really was a, an ass then. I was mm. thought that uh, being commercially savvy and, and talking tough and doing these tough things meant you're good at business. Mm. And it was one of those things. Was like, oh, <laughs> funny. I've got this sharp tongue and a broken down relationship. It might be me. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the mirror? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it might be me. Yeah. Uh, and and SYC taught me, gave me the opportunity to. Um, learn a lot about the way I thought about running businesses and enterprise, the way I thought about the world around me, thought about growth and all of those different things and gave me the opportunity to do that. And I was there for my one-year contract um, was turned over 18 times after that, 18 yeah, more times. well done. Mm. So did you, did you move in to, as a CEO in your first no. year? No, you no, I just came in as a – I came in as a general manager yeah. of this – ancillary business yeah so when was it when you became the ceo how uh, long into your, about uh, two years, two years. Or just under two years um and the then ceo 
resigned and the chairman rang and asked me to if I would do it and I said no. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I do. Yeah. Um, but I said I would caretake while I found somebody else and then once I got into it and I found like we just had so much to do. Mm. There was just so much to do and I remember saying to the chairman, oh, no, I'll stay. He said, no, no, you don't get to do that. Like you now have to go through the interview process with everybody else, <laughs> which was really good yeah. um, for me in the sense of, again, it was another one of those cool your jets, fairly yeah. not as good as you think you, you are. Prove yourself. Yeah. Prove it. So I went through the interview process. Obviously I, I, I got the job. It wasn't until much later that uh, I – found out from the chairman as he retired to say there were two experienced CEOs and I was 33 um, at that stage and these were experienced CEOs who applied for the job but they, I, I got it. Yeah, I saw um, something in you. What was it about you that they saw? Um, I, by that st- like, I really cared about it. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I really um, had a very clear picture of what, they needed to do mm. if they wanted to do the kind of things that they wanted to. So SYC at its heart was about homelessness in young people mm-hmm. and, and helping young people experiencing homelessness. And I had a very clear view, which at that, start, at that time in not-for-profit world was less fashionable than it is now, but I had a very clear view that if you could not help you can't help disadvantaged people if you're disadvantaged yourself as an mm. organiser. If you're struggling to make payroll mm-hmm. and you can't pay the best people, then you can't do the best job. So you should stop saying you, you can do the best job right. or do a better job. Mm. And I had a very clear view and, and fortunately our chairman and the board had that view as well and, and we were very aligned for a long period of time and we were very successful. Which was, which you was did great. well. I think from what I have read and understood, you took it from a half million turnover to thirty odd million in in your in your time. Well, that, Is that correct? No. Well, it was uh, our our balance sheet value um, was four hundred and twenty. So our members' assets value was four hundred and twenty nine thousand. Yeah. And we were facing a, a deficit of six hundred thousand in the budget. So that yeah, was wow. that was kind of numbers that didn't stack up, mm. but. Um, so it's really non-for-profit. <laughs> we're taking that a bit too seriously at that stage. But but really, I mean, this, this was a, an organisation that had a really strong sense of identity and a really strong sense of purpose and a really good purpose Yeah. Um, but had gone earnestly broke every decade of its mm. existence um, because it was so passionate about its cause. Uh, but so we grew it, uh, and not just me, but it was I was fortunate that I was the CEO at the time with good board and good people around yeah. me. Uh, we grew that to nearly eighty million dollars. Not eighty million, yeah, well in done. revenue um, and a, a balance sheet of thirty balance million. Okay. Um, by the time I finished, yeah, um, that took a took a while. Well done. Um, but it was, I mean, I was very fortunate to both be in that role and have fantastic board and no doubt. I mean. People. And that's what we'll go into a bit later. I mean, it's all about building the right quality team. But what what I think for me, uh, even just from my own experiences, growing pains are always um, always happening. And this is constant iteration. And you and I have spoken before. And you use the terminology 
you know, how do you update the plane when it's flying, right? And that, I just I found that so profound. It just because I'm a visual person, so that just hit me. It's correct. How do you, how do you constantly iterate? How do you grow? How do you take? Um, how do you create a bigger plane while it's in 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 mid flight? And I'm interested to hear your thoughts of how you took SYC. What were some of the the areas in which you um, that you you concentrated on most early on, and then then as it grew, stabilized that out and focused on, you know, really um, honing in on those areas and making them world class. The, the key to that story, um, if I start with a word that you just used, which was, which was pain, and there's a, there's a, if you're going to constantly iterate a business and mm-hmm. constantly reinvent it but not lose its core competence, mm-hmm. uh, you have to be able to manage pain mm-hmm. because and what I mean by that is cognitive dissonance. So having an idea in your head of one way of being while at the same time not disrupting your current way of being mm. is often opposing thoughts. Yeah. And in psychology that's yeah. called cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Another uh, way of expressing cognitive dissonance is mental anguish. Yeah. So if and in in situations of mental anguish, most people have an amygdala hijack over that, and they want to move away from the pain. Yeah. Because pain equals bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you can tolerate it, um, and support other people to tolerate ambiguity and um, that mental anguish. You can actually have them move and redesign all the the reason why people don't um, and wouldn't redesign a plane mid-flight is because most of the people on the plane would tell you that's crazy Mm. um, and it's dangerous. And here's all the reasons you won't. won't. And so you get caught in inertia. So the first Mm. thing to notice as the leader of the business is it's your job to, to coax coerce, whatever it is to, to, to not destroy inertia because there's a reason why those people are warning you mm-hmm. but at the same time not to, to make it safe for them to move away from inertia. Mm. And first of all, you've got to recognise who it is that's causing it. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time people think that inertia or stubbornness or, or not changing is by the ignorant and the indolent and the people mm. that don't are afraid. It's like, yeah. Only one of those statements is correct, and that's the afraid. Mm. But they're generally the longest-serving, smartest, most articulate, loyal people. Yeah, they're the ones that genuinely cause inertia. Mm. You go, well, why would they do that? So, like, well, because if you change the business or you change the organisation with experienced people who've got their jobs and their way of working, mm-hmm. and you want to change it, well, you're moving their power base. Yeah, correct. And people. Will do almost anything for that not to yeah, happen. Yeah. So they they will hold because all their plans are now out in the open, aren't they? Really. Yep. And so, and and, it's, and they're open for criticism. Yeah. Uh, and and criticism hurts. Mm. So if you really want to change things and change the organisation, you you can, you know, was it Tony Abbott that used the phrase "crash," you know, "crash through" or whatever. Yeah. You can. Yeah. You, you can crash through things. But when you crash through things, you leave a steaming pile of mess. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, correct. That's, 
that's that's tough but stupid. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're if you want to build something that's iteratively, sustainably growing and large and um, uh, built to built to last. So, um, the at SYC, I I realised very quickly because I um, I listened to them that the the social science professionals there kept saying you cannot use the language that you use. Yeah, <laughs> what's that? Just... Well, because I kept you know I kept talking about you know we've got to make money and we've got to do this and we've got to be efficient and do all those sort of yeah. things. Yeah. That's not all. So that, that was they're... outside of the realms of what a non-for-profit should be speaking about, wasn't it? At the at time, time yeah. yeah, and and it was right. And I kept saying, "Yeah, but you can't go broke either." Yeah, and they're like, "Well, you're the CEO. You sort that out." Yeah, and I, was like, yeah, that is that's actually my job to figure out what is the ambidextrous challenge of yeah. of on one hand. Being reliable and the same, and at the same time being innovative and different, mm. at exactly the same time, and making those two things coexist, yeah. and making people, hard-nosed commercial people, work with hard-nosed social science people yeah. who most times don't coexist. Mm. Um, but if you can make that coexist by building and holding and maintaining and encouraging relationships and ways of thinking um, and always challenging those ways of thinking to be to say you're not wrong you don't have to be sick to get better you're mm. not wrong you're just not right yeah um, and having the answer is a futile exercise having mm. an answer for now is good enough yeah and keep moving yeah I've always had this idea though like and it's it's a typical sales analogy, but it's also a commercial from a commercial point of view. Like if if you if you're not willing to grow and invest and um and and you know and make money, right? Or if you're not willing to sell, then you forfeit the right to make an impact. Yeah, like that's how it's kind of the like you cannot have an impact. You not have, start a non for profit or or a social enterprise business and want to change the world, but just in the hope that people buy into the cause there has to be some revenue that sort of turns this over well so hope is a is a is an interesting word it, particularly it gets thrown around in not-for-profit land yeah. as well hope and and there's that famous line of hope is not a strategy mm, correct so there's lots of uh and i the thing that i was really good at is is uh i i really cared about the aspiration for um helping homelessness and, and people uh, experiencing homelessness or unemployment, uh, but the bit that I I think I, I I brought was saying, okay, so rather than hope this is going to happen, let's back solve how it is going to happen. Let's yeah. imagine imagine it working. If you could wave a magic wand, what do you want to do, yeah. and how and what do you want to achieve, and let's back solve from there, and then go. So what's your what's your program logic? What's your what's your what if you've got a pro if you've got an outcome in mind. And a program logic, then in mind, then what are the core competencies that need to be true to make that work? And we'd backsole from that all the time. Like, so mm. it's great that you've got this soaring language and this soaring idea and all of that sort of stuff. Let's um, tell me when do you think? How long would it take yeah. to do that? Yeah. And let's backsolve and and just being able to break break it down into its component pieces, but not then not breaking it down into. So what is the work, people? Mm. 
dive straight into so what is the work what and they the want problem solving. Yeah, that's right. As if problem solving creates something. Mm. Very rarely, I would wager, very rarely will you meet someone who's really successfully built something who says that problem solving is how they got there. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's problem solving just renovates yeah. a shitty idea yeah. and makes it a, a, a look better. Yeah. Solution creation is is when you sit in sit in problems, and rather than just try and solve each one that happens, to go to look for patterns in all of those problems. You, and and this is the ambidextrous challenge, right? Yeah. If there are problems that are dangers, better employ people to solve them. Solve them real yeah. quick. Yeah. You don't have to solve all of them, and you don't have to have everyone in the business jump in the hole every time they yeah. see it. It's like, like yeah. just send Daniel for that one. Yeah. The rest of us stay here and stay calm. Correct, yeah. Um, yeah. And you see that chaotic kind of like management mm. all the time, but it just lacks leadership, it lacks vision, it lacks communication and it lacks care. Mm. So I want to I'm, – I'm, I'm super curious about your role as a CEO and the journey that you went on. You know, you, you've come from a 16-year-old – that believes he can run, <laughs> you know. I, I had a piece that, of paper that, literally that yeah. said I'm going to be a CEO oh, there, there when go. I was 16. Brilliant, like. I love it. <laughs> uh, so you have this. Uh, actually, on that, how did it feel when you finally became a CEO? Um, when I first when I first had the title CEO, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. So because uh, like, did you did you still have the piece of paper or did yeah you, yeah yeah. Well, you carried it around in your wallet or something. Like, no, I, ca- I carried. I had it in a. I had it in a wooden box with um, some toy cars that I'd kept from when I was a kid and some wheat bix cars <laughs> that they used to have in yeah, wheat bix packs. We can edit that out if you yeah. want. <laughs> but I, you know, I still had it in a box. Uh, brilliant. Oh, that's so good. You set yourself a goal. I, yeah. I love that, and that's visionary. It's yeah. finest. So, so I became a CEO, and and I thought. Um, it's funny, I thought at that stage a couple of things. One was um, this is the start, not like this, yeah. this is the start for me and it was and it was a big responsibility. Yeah. Uh, I also thought what I noticed because, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a short guy who wears glasses that, yeah. you know, was, yeah. so people started paying attention that otherwise weren't paying attention. Mm. And I was, mm. I was suspicious of that. Yeah. Um, and I, but I, I took the responsibility really, really seriously. But I remember another thing thinking of like, but this isn't a proper CEO. Uh. Um, and that plague, that, that sort of uh, doubt plagued me for a, the first few years of doing it, particularly when I was a CEO, of, uh, when I was CEO of SYC going, yeah, but I'm not. This is not what I, I had. This narrative. This isn't yeah. what I do. Yeah. So this isn't really being a CEO. Uh, and where does that harsh criticism come from? I have the same thing. We've got this beautiful new office. People walk in, and the first thing I say, it's not finished yet. Like why? Why is it that we have that continuous criticism that just carries off in our head? Interesting. I used to ask that question a lot mm. as well. And the same person that told me. It's the same person that told me just to start being a proper CEO then mm. um, was the same person who said, uh, <laughs> so, "So true, right? Is it, yeah. Stop! Don't do why. Yeah, like this this constant why am I doing that? Why? He said, 
don't stop doing why. What does it matter? It's mm. just you. Um, just be a be, start being a proper CEO. Mm. And but what's the why question when you say so? Don't, don't do why, as in so. Why am I like that? Why? Why what? am I not satisfied with that? You're going. Yeah. Your brain will answer that question, and yeah. it'll come up with stupid answers. Yeah. And then, if but it's irrelevant. Up, is that what? It's, it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's, it's 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 not irrelevant if you are constant. Like when I was constantly having um, challenges when I was a young leader, sort of having challenges with people not following me. So going, but like, look, this is very clear path. Yeah. It's really obvious. What's the matter with you? Yeah. It's like. Maybe the matter with me is I didn't collaborate with them at all or bring them along or I didn't care about their why mm. for coming along, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I think the, 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 the thing that I became really clear on is I was asking, like I would constantly ask myself, why was I doing that? Why was, and you do this thing and I still do it now. It's like, yeah. why did you say that, you yeah. idiot? Or why did you do that? It's like, like going this, off in my head every day. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> beating yourself to death. It's like stop doing mm. that. Like just, it, it doesn't mean don't interrogate mm. reality. Don't hindsight review. Don't do all that. But don't do this thing where you're like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I say this? Like, I just get that sometimes I'll go, I might have been a bit frank there or, mm. you know, I also <laughs> learned through SYC that I glare at people when I'm listening really <laughs> intently. So I had to learn to do that. But the the thing the thing when I got the advice of stop doing this, I'm not a proper CEO and just be a proper CEO. The 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 moral of that for me was to uh, two words that stick in my mind all the time, refuse and decide. Mm. And so what he was saying was if you always wanted to be a CEO and now you're one but now you're undermining it by saying I'm not a proper one, just decide that you are mm. and then decide to be a better one. And I was like, you know, you're hiding this self-doubt yeah. where you, you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this sort of worthy thing by questioning and not being too arrogant and not being da 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 It's like, no, you're not. You're really hiding. Just decide that you are. It's an I, it's and get like on with it. light bulb moment. It's just gone off in my head. It's it's an excuse in case things go wrong, isn't it? It was like yeah, oh, I, never, I was never a proper CEO anyway. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was learning. I was yeah. like, just decide. Yeah. And oh, then, I love that. That's and then, so as as people then start saying, "Well, Daniel, you're not see so you're, you're not really properly a CEO because experienced CEOs do X, Y, and Z." Mm. You go well. Of course, I can't make experience happen any faster. You tell me. Yeah. Most of the time, people who are telling you don't know. Yeah, it's so funny. Like yesterday we had a board meeting, right, and uh, for, for, for Synergy IQ, the, the business that I run, and um, I I sat in the room and it's the first time like I've been CEO, MD, whatever my title is in that space, and I um, – I remember thinking, I was like, you know, every time, every extra dollar this business makes, it's the biggest business I've ever run. Every time we hire a new person, it's the biggest business I've ever run. I've never, I'm learning, I'm I'm iterating, I'm trying to figure this out as I go along. Um, you know, is the board pack right? Is everything like, is it, what, what, you know, and there's so much, I put so much pressure on myself and it was the two people on our advisory board yesterday that said, 
Dan, like, you're doing well. Like, have you ever walked into a boardroom and everything's been so smooth and so perfect? You, you guys are like, and so there was just this, oh, okay, because you get real frantic. You want to do everything perfect. You want to impress people. Your ego comes into play. What are people thinking about me? Am I doing this right? And there's so many internal emotions. You but, know when you get you get someone say, I'm deeply suspicious when people says, oh, it's because I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. I go, ah, <laughs> are you? Are you? That's a really good way to hide yeah. because being a perfectionist means you can't really criticise me for getting something wrong mm. um, because I know it was yeah. wrong but I was yeah, working yeah, on it. Okay. It's like relax. Yeah. Being a perfectionist means that you have this really big challenge of perfection being the enemy of progress mm. and you, you're really liable to get stuck all the time Yeah. Um, as opposed to going that's – I like excellence, like that's excellent, that's as good as I can do. My job now is to find somebody who's more excellent than me at that mm. and I'll just keep moving mm. um, rather than getting bogged because I used to get yeah. stuck. Did you ever, when you got stuck, did you ever think to yourself, like I'm not cut out for this? Like this All is, the time. Yeah. I still do. You still do? Yeah. Is that something that ever goes? No. No. I and why I is that? Is it the internal? Yeah. Yeah, why? Because there are some people who don't have that or am I just in belief that they don't have that? I I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I, uh, I see lots of people that uh, don't want to, uh, I don't know, push or they just have different priorities. For, yeah. me, <laughs> for me though, it's, it's like that worked, that could work better. Yeah. And then if that worked better, then what are other people doing? Am I doing – is that is what I'm doing better than anybody else? Uh, and so it's just that whether it's a bit of competitiveness or oh, yeah, it's the- all of those different things or it's the um, you wanting to do well like for – because, you know, from in your upbringing you, you've been told you need to do better or mm. it's a combination of all of those sort of things. Yeah. But you get to a point where you – are at peace with the fact that um, it's not that I'm unhappy. It's just that I'm not satisfied yeah. uh, with that. Um, but it used to be that, I, you know, you get lots of people saying, oh, I just want to be happy, which sets this polarity that unhappiness is a bad thing. Yeah. So, well, it's hap- not a bad thing. Hap- it's happiness just, is a fleeting thing, isn't it? Like you can't. I'm happy every day and, I, I, I'm, and I'm glad for that but again that's that's the thing you decide when you wake up in the morning yeah it's not something you sort of go i hope today makes me happy like Mm. seriously yeah just decide it and and you'll be surprised at the end of the day that you are i mean being a ceo is a different difficult role right and and there's there's a lot of moving parts and it creates a lot of anxieties and it can create a lot of you know self-focus like internal sort of focus and yeah if you've decided to be a ceo you've also decided you can soak up more stress than just about anybody (laughs) you know right it's pretty it's uh, tough on you it's pretty enchanting yeah it does take take over um what i'm really interested in is like out of those anxieties metrics are one thing that i find myself getting attached to and whether it's revenue whether it's the constant trend of up and um I really attach myself to those metrics and when they're not going the way that I, that I would like them to, then I start 
um, I start feeling that in my myself, right? And is there a um, is there a metric outside of revenue that you sort of concentrated in and honed in on? Like, was it culture? Was it uh, I don't know something that you did outside of work? Was there something that you honed in on to help you level out that playing field in the, in regards to I need to deliver and consistently deliver, and every time I get a win, I'm not going to celebrate it because we can still do this and we can still get better and there's still more to do and the the finish line never is just keeps not getting further and further away, but every sort of increment, it just keeps stretching out. So how did you manage that thought process in your... There's so much in that. Mm. The, 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 whether There's a whole bunch of measures that you use and, and use interchangeably, uh, whether it's whether it's your P&L, whether it's your sales performance, whether it's your leading indicators, your lagging indicators, whether it's your balance sheet, your cash flow. Um, whether it's culture and, and we'll come back to measuring culture, mm. this, this idea of measuring culture, whether it's um, risk, whether it's health and safety, whether it's, you've got all of these different measures yeah. and often people say, but what's the most important one? It's like, okay, so there's a phenomena here that you're looking for and that is what, you, what you're looking for is certainty. Mm. Uh, something to grab on Something to hold on to that is certain mm. because you're – you're not managing ambiguity anymore. You're uncomfortable. You're feeling pain, so you want certainty. Yeah, and certainty is a false idol. Mm. Um, so you can, you know, you can get your P and L right and whatever. You killed half your customers yeah. getting it, but <laughs> or your prospective customers getting it, but you got it right. So it's <laughs> yeah. a false, yeah, it is, it's yeah. a false god. You've got to have all of all of them, and you're looking at them all the time, and you're balancing them all the time. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm very driven by metrics and and um how they're fitting and how they're fitting into the strategy um how they're fitting into tactics but i'm also a big believer in um changing your mind if they're not working mm. so lots of people get really fixated on yeah but that's that's the target that's the metric, yeah. what's that target serving is it serving our purpose yeah well, you can't change it halfway through. It's like, well, you can. There's things called rolling budgets where you redesign the budget every quarter based on smarter information to um, make better decisions along the way. Mm. Um, and people are like, yeah, but you've got to have a 12-month budget. Otherwise, it's like, why? Because that, everybody else has got one and they told you to and mm. you're insecure about um, whether everybody knows what they're doing if you don't have it. Now you're getting into territory of what do you mean? Mm. So you, you, you don't have a quality of talk in your team yeah. that can constantly iterate and have people looking at the rear guard today and forward at the same time and you don't have trust that that communication is working well. That's why you need some benchmarks to hold on to because mm. there's not that they can't do it, it's because you don't trust them to do it or you don't communicate with them well enough or have a relationship well enough that you can trust them to all work together yeah. all the time. And that is hard work. Like that's just often people think the CEO is the is is the shepherd. Mm-hmm. The CEO is not the shepherd. The CEO is the sheepdog. Yeah, it's, it's right. It's the chairman's the the, 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 chairman's the chairman's the shepherd. The shepherd. Yeah. You're the sheepdog. You're constantly running around the sheep run off and you gotta go back. Yeah. And sometimes you just gotta glare at them and go, don't. 
Yeah. You watch what a sheepdog does. They don't yeah. chase sheep all the time. Half the time they're lying down staring at the sheep <laughs> yeah. going, I dare you. <laughs> you know, they have all sorts yeah. of different tactics to yeah. do it. And that's, that's the, the quality of talk, quality of relationship, quality of thinking, um, communicate. And often your job is just to assure, is to assure people it, it, you're on the right path. Yeah. My big weakness though in that often is that I can see what, where yeah. we're going, yeah. like it's like a movie you've, in yeah. my head. You're three steps ahead, and yeah. then you've got to let other people make the mistakes. But if you're just if you're uh, if you're over the curve, shouting back at everybody, "Hey, hurry up!" But they can't see you, and they can't see what you see. Mm. And it's been a while since you came back to get them. You shouldn't be surprised that they're all in a huddle, standing still, waiting, going, "Well, we'll just wait for you to come back." Wow! And if you come back, if you're the one coming back, going, "What's the matter with you people?" It's like, well, it might be you. That's so real. <laughs> like I, um, yeah, it's funny because you, you, when you start noticing the little fractures or cracks within a business or within your own business, you, um, the first thing that really always comes to my mind is when's the last time that I've had a conversation, like a proper conversation or when's the last time that I've been really clear or I've held accountability in place and it's, you would. It might have been that I've lacked. Things have come up. You move office, whatever it might be. That you're so busy. You know, the world's a crazy place. Mm. And you go. Actually, there's been a month here, or there's been a couple of weeks here that I haven't had a proper conversation, which is what's creating the ambiguity, which is what's creating the frustrations, which is what's creating. So I'm over the hill, right? I've got to come back. And I think, I think you're right. You got to be the sheepdog. You got to walk. Side by side. And you, you, when you come back and having a proper conversation, so dysfunction happens politely mm. and it usually happens and, and teams start falling apart when they like each other mm. a lot. Mm. And so we get this sense of, um, um, you know, I don't want to upset Daniel. I know he made a mistake and, and I don't want to upset him by saying that because I know he's a bit sensitive about yeah. it. I don't know how to talk about it. So we just... <laughs> politely ignore it yeah. and hope it goes away. Well, you, we all know it doesn't go away. Yeah. But what's in evidence now is polite dysfunction. Mm. And being able to call out polite dysfunction is a, is an amazingly important skill that, you know, is evolved over time and you've yeah. got it and it's risky. Mm. But it's really important. Because you build these relationships. But shouldn't a trusting relationship, that should be easier <laughs> to have that? Yeah. Or does it get too far over the hill that you go, oh, now it's a mess? It, it's not set and forget like that. Yeah. It changes depending it on, does. you know, what their partner said, you know, yeah. for example, or or their friend said as they, yeah. about it. They change. So you've got to constantly calibrate, recalibrate, calibrate, recalibrate. So, so in those conversations, right, there is absolute – like if you're talking about that dysfunction, there is absolute chance that you're going to upset a few people, right? And and you're not going to be the most liked mm-hmm. person within the company. And and I think that's something that we see in the work that we do. I am definitely falling in this trap a few times myself that you want to be the most liked person in the business. You want everyone to agree with you and you want everyone to share the vision that you share and understand the the path that you're trying to or the strategy that you've put in place um, or the business has put in place. And so 
there is that nicety that comes in. It's like I don't want to piss people off because I want to make sure that they are coming along the ride with me and they're doing what we need them to do and all the above. How do you, how did you manage that accountability piece um, and the conversation piece? Was it always about what's best for business or was it, yeah, what was your blend or did you have a, a model that you used? Um, so it's, it's not binary like that. Uh, first of all, first of all, having a, a, a combined purpose is, is super important. Mm. Um, but as I was, I was thinking about it then and, and as you were talking about being liked, um, I think I think a, a really unfashionable word and a word that makes people really squeamish in corporate sense is love. We we talk about it in terms of passion for mm. like, I love what I do and I you know I'm really I, I love doing this and doing yep. that. But as terms of if you think about running your enterprise and you want people to like you and if if you're seeking like all the time it's going to be dysfunctional mm. if yeah. if for example as a as a parent i spend and I, you see this a lot right and I, i'm not trying to say that uh be paternalistic about no. being a ceo or like being a parent and all that sort of stuff but there's there's lessons there right if you see these you see these parents who run around after their kids wanting their kids to are terrified their kids might not like them mm. it's like you know you raise pretty bratty kids mm. Um, yeah. When you want them to like you all the time, when that's yeah. what you're obsessed with, you want your kids to love you and know that you love them. Mm-hmm. So really, what that is is they they want to be secure mm. in the status of the relationship, so you can push the bounds of like. Mm. Because some have you ever worked with people that are really talented, but they're a bit afraid, they're a bit nervous, they're a bit insecure, yeah. and you've given them a push, and they haven't really liked it. But then they've been successful and then they yeah. like you for that and they mm. thank you for that but at the time they didn't thank you for it. Yeah. You'll never do that if you're pursuing like. Mm. You'll never push people to do better, mm. be their limit. You'll also never push people to the point of their incompetence, which is often you know, to the, to the limit of their skills, if you're pursuing like. Mm. So you're always going to have your business stuck at the limit of the weakest skills of the person you don't push. Mm. And so sometimes when you're pushing, they're now saying, I can't do it. You've pushed, you've got to make a decision. And these are decisions that nice people don't like, Mm. which is, but I like Daniel Mm. and I like him and people around here like him. Yeah. But he can't. He's not. He got us here. He's part of the fabric of the business. He's come all the way with us. And I don't want to be the person to tell him, but he's not part of what got us here won't get us there. Mm. And we have to deal. So you do this thing, and I've done it so many times where you hang on to people who've reached their limit two years ago. Yeah, You like them and they're good people and they're so mm. dedicated. And then something, it either becomes dysfunctional or it breaks or mm. you know, it becomes heartbreaking. The minute your heart doesn't break for people who you really like in the business but have reached their level of incompetence and need to either move on or be reskilled or do a different or, or 
realize this is as far as it goes for you. Like this is your role in the yeah. business and this is what we need. All those conversations are genuinely caring conversations mm. and they're difficult. Lots of people, so many people avoid that mm. so they're stuck. What happens in the scenario where you believe the person's hit their boundary but that person believes they haven't? Well, then you have to have a, a, a conversation about that with, with them mm. um, and if you don't agree, then one of you needs to leave. Mm. So mm. if they're going to stay and the business is going to stay where it is uh, and you're not interested in working in a business that's going to stay where it is, then maybe you should leave. Yeah. Um, if, however, you're in charge of it and you want to see that business continue to develop and that person is saying, well, this is I'm, I, I, I can do it, mm. you know they can't. Do you well, give them the chance though? Still, do you say right? I'm going. So I need I need twenty percent more from you, right? And they deliver five percent. Where do you sit? Are you in an awkward position again? They have improved, but it's not what I need. Mm. So what do you do in that space? So again, if, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm pretty I'm patient. Talk, yeah, I'm, I'm talking from a CEO. Yeah, point, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm pretty patient in the sense of well, help me understand how our expectations don't match. Mm. So I'm expecting this, you're delivering this. So I want you to just help me understand whether I need to lower my expectations because there are conditions, yeah. there are staffing. I, I met, I, I had a dinner with a guy a couple of weeks ago uh, who was saying, he said some anachronistic sort of views on uh, human resources, right? Mm. Oh, we don't need, a, you don't need HR team or people if you've got managers who can manage. Okay, well, that's technically correct. Mm. However, if you don't invest in any training for your managers and you're running on pretty thin margins and you can't afford to pay um, really highly qualified managers and all of that sort of stuff, then you need that's right yeah. a, a, a backstop. And you expect them to deliver on the technical element of the work as well, yeah, not so just if, manage people. If you're yeah. not going to invest in them and you're not going to develop right. them and you're not going to pay them properly, yeah. then you're going to have these compromises. Mm -hmm. So... What you're really doing is is you're having to manage your own expectations, mm -hmm. um, and and so if they delivered five percent and you're looking for twenty, you can't assume that just because you want twenty, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Or maybe it, it could be a timing variance. Yeah. Maybe they're going to get twenty. They'll go five, ten, fifteen, twenty, and it's now it's an impatience issue. If you like, just understanding, yeah. doing root cause analysis into the, but if. Five percent is as good as it's going to get, and you can and you're hearing all of these excuses, and you know the difference between commentary on people's failure to deliver and actual reasons. Mm. If that's persistent, and they can't, or they can't see that they're constantly bringing you reasons why it can't be achieved, as opposed to um, here's how I can do it, or here's how I can recalibrate. Yeah, what I'm trying after a while, yeah. you have to have a conversation about is this really for you? Yeah, hundred percent. And they're hard. People don't like those, particularly if you like if you have mates or you yeah, get on well, really you, well. Or. Especially, yeah. Do you, one thing that is also so within this is um, you know you're, you're holding people account and, and you know you're trying to create clarity. We've talked about communication being a critical piece. You're obviously uh, very well and experienced in the communication aspect. 
how do you communicate with a team or when you as a CEO when you put out a message um, and, and, and account for all the different sort of brain thinking styles that are in the team? Do you, you know, when you said just go and be the best CEO, do you write the email or do you write the strategy or is it just to the best how I think or is, do you take in all the, all the different thinking styles? I don't want to put too many metrics in there because people won't think about it or I don't want to put too many, uh, you know, fluffy stuff because people might not, I've got more engineers in my team, whatever it might be. Do you, how do you manage your communication with an organisation and hope to have the most throughput and, and delivering what you're actually trying to. So culture change and strategy is a contact sport. It's not. It is. <laughs> it's absolutely. It is belly to belly, eye to eye. Yeah. So any, any CEO or person purporting to be a leader who goes away, designs a strategy or a plan, sends an email or creates a glossy brochure, or puts it on the website and expects all the staff to read it and then go along with it is deluded. <laughs> Absolutely. Like it is it, it, people do you know why no country's ever won a war just with an air force? What? Is because you need boots on the you ground on to the ground. occupy yeah. space. Yeah. To to win over hearts and minds yeah. to genuinely change things. You cannot win by leaflet dropping. You mm. cannot win ever by flying over the top and hounding people into submission. Yeah. They will just regenerate yeah. because they're on the ground belly to belly having conversations. You have to do that all the that's time. That's the hope thing that's coming into play. It's hope. Yeah. And it's it's arrogance mm. and it's and it's superiority. It's this superior thinking of like I've got this really great thinking because, look, I wrote it in a book and I put it on a website and you should read it. Mm. It's deluded mm. it's egotistical that it, sitting down with everybody and going so here's here's what i think the strategy is here's what i think the the goals and the outcomes we can achieve are here's why i think we're doing it what do you think mm. and having the patience to go everybody has different views of that they, mm. they can some people have such low abstract reasoning that they can't they need you to spell it out for them um, mm. Other people can imagine it, but everybody's got a, a different way of looking at it. Mm. And if you're so impatient that you can't do it yourself and sit with them and take, then find people who do within their departments and, and manage it. But your your leadership team, if they are then saying, well, we were in a meeting with Daniel and we did this strategy work and we've all decided this is what it is, read the brochure, Guess, don't be surprised if it doesn't happen. Yeah, because they're not doing, they're not showing leadership. It's really got to be in their hearts and minds and and on the ground. And that's a constantly iterative thing. the The thing then is people go. So you've got this strategy, you've got these tactics, you've got the outcomes, and then it still doesn't get done because you didn't do the work on what's called sticking the landing. So yeah. you took your plane off, mm-hmm. you, you designed it, you drew it. You said, here's the destination. So you got your plane, you all take off. And the bit you failed to do was go landing gear. Yeah. Shit, you've got to do landing gear. Yeah. Um, so how do you land? Where do you land? All of that. All of that communication happens when people 
then feel that part of it and they feel included and that they've got landing mm. landing gear, they'll take off in nearly anything mm. with you because mm. they know you're going to land them right. safely. Yeah, they feel safe. That's right. A lot of the people get caught up when you think about um, airline tra- uh, traveling on airlines mm-hmm. um, that it's got to be on time and the airport and getting through security and what food did I get and what were the seats like and all of those different things. Yeah. You know the most important thing? <laughs> Landing safely. <laughs> getting there alive. alive that's right. Yeah. We land most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not okay. That yeah. is so true. Yeah. So true. Do, do you, um, again, do you, how do you manage that process of, you know, because you talked about culture and you talked about being a contact sport and I love that. Was it then... Is that what you're saying? I mean, this is what we do from a out from our world. Is that we educate? So I'm, I understand that um, creating an awareness through input, right? Like you said, having people speak because you don't actually need to. Um, you don't actually need to really always listen, or sorry, do so not listen. You don't need to actually do what they say or the inputs that are coming your way. But it's the simple fact that you've listened. And you've taken on board their voice is the most critical. And piece. demonstrated that you have. And demonstrated. And so tell me about demonstrating. What is your? So, I I, I get nerdy about models. Yeah. So yeah, I, I talked about if you've got a if you've got a, a a vision or something an impact you're trying to have, mm-hmm. then there's a a logic model, the Harvard Impact Logic Model, where you've got you define your impact and then you say what the outcomes are that need to be achieved to have that impact mm-hmm. there are outputs that lead to that outcome and then there is activities that lead to those outputs which lead to those outcomes which help you achieve and then there are inputs which have to fund the activity so there's a, a logic there's model a to layer. that right and then you apply a program logic to that which is simply your sticking the landing that's mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. flight plan and all of that so you got your program logic you've got your impact model and then you, you can design all those brilliant things, step-by-step, step, Gantt charts, all of those different things. Then the only thing standing between you and achieving that is people who will screw it up. <laughs> yeah. That's your only job. Yeah. So your only job yeah. then and so then what are the things and those people want certainty. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that if they get it wrong or they fall out of pace or fall out of speed or don't understand it or all that sort of stuff that they're going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Or included, and now they are, they want certainty around that. Mm. You can't offer certainty around that because they might not. Mm. That's right. So why would you not be upfront with that and say, "Look, not everybody is going to be able to do this, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you are. Whether it's through training, through support, through listening, through adjusting, all those sort of things. But in the event that you there are there are three sort of aspects, if you can. Do it. Mm. If you can't, help me notice it so I can teach you. Yeah. If you can but you won't and you're going to start now holding us back, you need to leave mm. because won't is a choice. And yeah. that's, you're now out of step with us. Yeah. So that, that conversation's got to happen all the time. Mm. Um, but the other thing as well is around making sure that, that, that people are coming along. Um, and, and not screwing it up um, with you is you've got to understand like what what's going on for them 
and that changes dynamically all the time. And if you don't know or you don't listen for it, don't be surprised if if they jump off the bus. They jump off or they hold you back or they do all those different yeah. things. But we get so caught up in strategic plans, business plans, projections and all that sort of stuff because your funders, whether they're bankers or investors or all of that sort of stuff, tell you that that's what they've got to see. Yeah. And they're telling you that that's what they're going to see because they want certainty. Mm. What do they want certainty of? That you're a happy camper, mm. that your staff are happy. Want certainty that you're not going to lose their money. Yeah. They want certainty that their dividend or they want certainty that their investment is. So they want all of those certain things. So we get obsessed with delivering those things because we've got to report them to a board. And all. But I can promise you nearly none of that is what makes you successful or your people successful. It is them believing in what they're doing and understanding what competence they've got to demonstrate to make that happen. So doing the work is not enough. Oh, but Daniel, I got look at the I did the work you told me and I got 5% better. That's the best you can expect. No, it's not. What is the competence that I'm asking you to demonstrate to get 20% growth? Mm. I asked for 20% growth. You got 5%. What are you thinking is the gap between the 5 and the 20? Cuz this is the competence that I'm asking. Yeah. I want you to be thinking about how you, you spell it out to me you tell me mm. how you're going to get there and you, or you tell me what you need from me to help you get there yeah we often miss those conversations and you don't have them by flying past mm. or just looking at metrics you have them talking to people yeah. really well how do you um how do you go about in that scenario where you're talking to those people and within that you've got some underperformers you've got some Overperformers, you've got some aspirational people, you've got uh, people who are just happy to come in and do a role. Like, there's all different types of personalities that come into a business and make it up. In you know the 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 one thing that's always in the in my mind is I like one of my core values is growth, and and I constantly have this idea of improving myself and always moving myself up a ladder if that's what you want to call it i don't know it's make believe ladder um the and so that internal growth and desire to improve and 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 seek um uh, seek enjoyment out of uh, out of the work that i do is something that i always think about when i'm talking with at the team members or when you, well, even when you talk with other ceos and other customers and clients our, our client base is there a is there a is there a rule book or a playbook I should say around how do you manage the different expectations of all the different people that you work with and and particularly the 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 C suite or the executive team the leadership team there are some that are so aspirational and you like and like when I you know even my own personality trait I hear people that are aspirational I, I gravitate towards them but then there are some that are you know what, I'm just really happy delivering what I'm delivering and I'm happy in this world or in my bubble or whatever it might be. And and I find myself going, well, no, there's more, right? There's more. And how do you manage that thought process when you're working with your executive team and, and the different personalities that are within there and the different aspirations that are in there? Mm. There's, You know when you hear people say, 
I treat people the way I want to be treated myself. Yeah, it's a it's a fallacy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I love this. Oh, yeah. man. Like, like, don't treat me like you treat yourself. Yeah. Um, treat me how I want to be And you don't want, you don't want me to treat you like I treat myself. Yeah. Um, because I'm really hard <laughs> exactly. on myself. Exactly so you don't want me right. to do that to you. Yeah. Uh, so this this notion of and this um, and and also people like people like them. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So they do gravitate to people yeah. who, you know, that's why social media has become such a dangerous echo chamber, right? Because it's just like flocks yeah. people who sound like them, um, and and it and it's uh, eroding discourse mm-hmm. and curiosity. Uh, and so, from a leadership point of view. It's that curiosity um, that's got to drive how do I align expectations. And so when you think about expectations, they're not binary. They Expectations live within what I would refer to as a zone of tolerance. Mm. And some people have a really high tolerance mm-hmm. for um, expectations being variable. Mm-hmm. Other people have a really narrow band of it's almost binary, like mm. you either did it or you didn't. Yeah. Um, and so... You've got to be even. You've got to be able to map how where everybody's zone of tolerance is yeah. for expectation deviation. Mm. Because if you've got a powerful but otherwise invisible person with a narrow zone of tolerance who's decided they're gonna make the business work the way they want to work, for example, you could have super salespeople, super business development people, super operations people and all of that um, sort of thing. You have super logistics people, super CX people. Um, but you've got people, you've got somebody who sits in an office in the dark um, who is the policy and audit person <laughs> yeah. uh, who's decided how they think things should work. Yeah. They can pretty much mess up everybody else mm. um, yeah. and they'll do it quietly and, you know, they'll, all these different things. If, on the other hand, you've got salespeople or you've got uh, people out the front saying, all you people behind only have jobs because I make you money, mm. they need to leave. Mm. Like seriously, it's damaging. the Because your, your zone of tolerance is being disrespected the whole mm. time. As a CEO, your job is to look at that map of all those individuals or all those individual groups and You've got to understand what that zone of tolerance is for each group because your job is to bring them all along. Mm. How did um, you learn that though? How did you learn to do that and look at that way? Uh, I went to, I pushed myself to um, be educated mm. um, both whenever I, it, interestingly we got to, you, you mentioned something earlier about every iteration of your business is a bigger mm operation than you've ever run before i got to a point in 2015 at syc where we had grown it to a point where it was a fairly large organization it was the biggest organization i'd ever run Mm. and we were working really hard on a strategy to double that again and it was already the biggest thing i'd ever run (laughs) and it was really clear as well we we were implementing quality systems and putting all that governance in place but we were getting to a size where there was stuff that I didn't understand. Mm. Things like um, really complex risk, like risk management I knew at a basic level. We were getting into proper multidimensional risk management and yeah. consequences and all of those sort of things. We were moving to be a, a, a 
company limited by guarantee. So for, for all intents and purposes, a public company just not listed. Yeah. And all of the compliance. And I was like, I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah. And I got obsessed with how, gosh, I need to know all that stuff. Just a bit like why people do MBAs. Like yeah. I want to be a manager one day, yeah, so I'll yeah. do an MBA. It's like, didn't solve your problem, no, did it? Because <laughs> no. it wasn't the actual problem. No. So I remember going to the board and saying, we're at a point now where you either need to sack me and the executive and get people who know what they're doing <laughs> in terms of running a bigger business yeah. or we need to go and learn how to be these big like elite managers. Yeah. And I've always wanted to be like a, that competitive streak. I want. I don't want to just go and learn yeah. it. I want the elite version of yeah. it and I want to be with the elite guys doing it and yeah. see where I stack up. Hear you loud and clear. So <laughs> we – I – went to the board with a proposal to take my leadership team mm-hmm. to Stanford Business School yeah, um, in, as a not-for-profit. So good. And at the time, you, you could – can you imagine? They're like, wait, what? you mean in America? <laughs> yeah. All of you? It's like, yeah, yeah. Um, as a group. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that's the elite. That's the elite group. Elcor, Leading Change in Organisational Renewal is the elite program for change and organisation. People from Boeing, Apple, yeah. if, like the elite go there for yeah. that program. So that's what I want to do. But yeah. I want it not just me because I've done and all of us as CEOs have done the professional development where you go learn and then you come back and you're so excited you tell everybody about it. So you fly past to a leaflet drop of what you've learned mm-hmm. and then you go, you know, none of them listened. Yeah. What are they? Say? Funny that. Yeah. So I took – them and and interestingly the it was a lot of money and how long I just did, waited how long up. Did they go for this course? Uh, ten days. Ten days. Uh, and so we, I just did a simple equation of if we don't change and we lose, how much would you pay to tender for a five hundred million dollar contract mm. over five or six years? So you'd spend two million dollars just tendering for it. Um, it's like, okay, well, we're talking about less than 10% of that. Um, investing in, in just in case, imagine if we won, mm. imagine if we tended for it and then we won, and then we lost it because we couldn't didn't know how to run it. Yeah, um, then imagine if all the recruitment you're going to have to do to replace the idiots that won it but then screwed it up, yeah. um, and the auditors you're going to have to get to like this is it's a big cost, it's a big cost to that, mm. right? And, and it's, much, and it's one of those things yeah. of. Um, what if you don't invest in their um, their skills and they stay? Yeah. So we, the, the board, and this is why I've been very fortunate to have a one, always have wonderful chairman and or chair people and wonderful support from the board. They yeah. said yes. Yeah. And we went to this elite school and we found out that only three organisations in 20 years had come as a team. Yeah, wow. Most of the time they sent the CEO or the COO or one executive at a time. We were one of only three that had ever gone as a group. And they said that was wonderful and expensive and brave. And I was like, brave? And for the next 10 days when you're a CEO just getting your strategy and your change journey and all of your skills and your culture pulled apart in front of your team, it's like one of the – You're naked toughest experiences mm. ever like i would ring my wife every night she go are you 
enjoying it? I'm like, no. <laughs> like I really am not enjoying it at all. But it's brilliant. Yeah. And so you're really. What was it like? What, what was. You, what, what, oh, man. So they, would, they were really, for example, they would really struggle with some stuff that I could see. Yeah. And so I would lean in and say, here's how you do it. And our lecturer and our mentor um, would say, Paul, push your chair back. Stop saving them. Get, get out of there. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but I paid a shitload of money for them to be here. And it's like, push your chair back. Um, you've got to learn to support them to be able to do this without you constantly diving in and adjusting them and, and saving them and teaching them. Hmm. And that was really hard. That's profound, yeah. Um, for me to, to it was really hard for me to do. And but part of the lesson there as well is like it was holding a mirror up to how controlling I was mm. and how actually my controllingness of this and rescuing them. Um, and doing all that sort of stuff was holding them back. But it was also holding – it was preserving my power as the smartest guy in the room. Mm. Unconsciously, but it was. It's mm. like, so he kept saying, push your chair back. Mm. And I had to sit and listen to this thing going, yeah, Paul jumps in and does this. Whenever this happened, Paul jumps in and does that. We just wait for him to do that. I'm like, this is really humiliating <laughs> to go through. And it's, mm. and it's a really solid reflection yeah. of you. Do you, do you think you would have learned more or less if you went by yourself? I wouldn't have understood any of that. No. I would have come back so, and have been this genius superhero with a thing from Stanford and, and have the had, jumper. And still had the power driven. More power yeah. because I knew stuff you that they didn't You thought you were elite now, yeah. And I thought I was elite, yeah. 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 You get, my ego would have been massive. Bloated, yeah. Whereas I came back going, whoa, now. And out of all of those people – three of us really were able to stay in the business mm. for various different reasons. So of seven people that went, three stayed. Yeah, wow. But, man, we were good. Yeah. Like we're really good. And the, and the people that didn't stay, it's not because they were not good as well. It just didn't, didn't. work out. But then when we won mm. and we continued to be successful afterwards, the amount we spent and the pain we went through was nothing. It turned yeah. out to be nothing. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but yeah, that that constant push. I've always pushed myself to um, to to learn, learn, learn. But also to put myself. So I've I've been fortunate to study at Harvard. I've been fortunate to study at Stanford. And it's not about sort of. I, I always preface when I say that. It's like I know I'm just about to sound like a massive wanker when I say <laughs> that I've been there it's not about going there it's about like where is the best place with the smartest people that i can put myself where i'm going to be terrified yeah if you're going to do it you do it right yeah Don't do it half fast. you yeah it's frighten all, yourself it, it's all in yeah i want to um i'm just conscious of your time because you do have to shoot off half an hour so i want to ask there's some questions that i'm dying to ask but thank you for sharing that story because um you're right. The, the continuous learning and growth as a CEO, I, if you're not investing in self, then, you know, you're in the wrong position. And learning hu- learning humility, yeah, tolerating being told lets you – and this is going to be super important in the next five years as this generational shift in employees, in business, in the world at the moment. There's mm. this generational shift going on between all of us, all those people who were born in the 20th century and all those people who were not born in the 20th century. Mm. 
and there's there's language and thoughts and cultural ideas that are completely incompatible with each other that if you're in a leadership position and you are not really alert to that or you're not respectful of it or not giving it the respect that it deserves, you're going to be in trouble. Here, here, well said. Um, I want to just ask a few scenarios um, and then I, I, then I want to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing at Vino, mm-hmm. MoFo as well. Um, but the scenario is I'm a appointed CEO of a new company, relatively small company, 20-odd people. You know, we spoke about your previous business, 20-odd people. Sales and marketing is at a lower point of maturity. The board and the owners and the founders or whatever have huge, you know, aspirations and growth aspirations. And, and there's a product that actually there's this, this could – there's something here, right? I could do something with this. Teams, the team's good. Um, the, the the people you adopt are in the right positions. You know, obviously you got to make a few choices here and there, but things are pretty comfortable. But now it's just about growth, right? What is your role as a CEO walking into that position? Wow, you're an you really are in a spot. Now, and this is where the expectation management. So what what does growth look like? Mm-hmm. What, is, what does growth mean um, in that term? Because it's, it's just a generic term, right? So yeah. are you looking to um, grow sales? You're looking at growing profit? Are you looking at growing wealth? Are you looking at growing security? Mm-hmm. Um, what's, your, what's your tolerance for risk across the business, whether it's from the board your own tolerance for risk and the tolerance of, for risk of the people within the business. Mm-hmm. How are all those things lining up? Do you all mean when you – so it's all about language now. Yeah. When you say growth, do you all mean the same thing? Mm. And the answer is no. No. So yeah. what do you mean then? Mm. And it's your, your really role and it will take some time to work out. So how do we create a growth trajectory that, fits with all the competencies and aspirations and expectations that yeah. we have. And You're so right, cause some are growing just to be a sustainable business, but some are growing to build an empire, right? Yeah. Two different some are growing for an exit, yeah, a liquidity correct. event. Yeah. Some are growing because and then and and in terms of then what's your growth strategy? So it, it depends on once you once you've defined what growth means to you all, then the next question is who does that make you? Mm. So once you've decided on what your growth thing is together, who does that make you? Because when you come to that who does that make you, it, infor- it informs your strategy. So let's say. So who, who does that make you as in as a, as as a, a person business. or as a business? No, as a business. business. Yeah. yeah. So as a business. So let's say you're a retailer. Yeah. And you have a growth strategy that is to become the biggest retailer in Australia. Mm-hmm. So you will, to do that, you will. Um, grow organically mm-hmm. your retail business but your total addressable market is probably wider than the brand you have mm-hmm. so you probably if you then look at West Farmers for example they would have all these brands and they'll run a house of brands yeah. to do that because those different brands speak to different parts of the addressable market Essentially, though, if, if all of those brands are all retailers, 
then you're using what's called a stacking strategy. You're stacking retail on top of retail on top of retail on top of retail. Mm -hmm. So if your growth plan is to be the biggest retailer and the who you are is intrinsically a retailer, then your strategy will be to stack retail brands on top of each other to to speak to different addressable market. If, however, your growth plan is so your aspiration is for growth and we want to be we want to be big and diverse then being a retailer is not what you are then retail is just one part you want to then if your diversity will come from acquiring and or growing in Mm. your supply chain Mm -hmm. and supporting and developing your supply so now you have a stack and spread strategy Mm -hmm. so it, the who you are is not a retailer. Who you are now is a distributor. Mm. And that's a very different way of thinking different about game, yeah. growth and strategy. So it's this, it becomes this this loop yeah. that links to who you are. And who you are can change because and often you get you get these heroic people saying, oh, it's all about the who we are and our values and all that sort of stuff. And they don't they don't change. It's like they might not change, but they evolve. Yeah. And they get better and you become more mature and you get smarter and I'm, I guarantee I'll be smarter tomorrow than I was yeah, today. Yeah. And I guarantee that I can't be smarter. I can't impose how smart I am to how I was yesterday. Mm. And so this idea that, you know, you don't change who you are, like it's just it's nonsense. It doesn't work that way. It's the same for your business. Yeah. So, yeah, the, when you talk about growth I th- and you're that CEO. To def- define all of Who yeah. you are as a business when you're growing from 20 people to 100 I promise is different than who you are when you're growing from a hundred to a thousand yeah. people. When you go from South Australia to national, national, changes who you are. You're South Australia South Australian or are you national? Yeah. And because you get this jingoistic way of actually still being South Australian, you, you your mouth is saying you're national, but you're still behaving like a South Australian. Do you do you do you create the strategy to go from twenty to a hundred? First, and then, or do you create the strategy from twenty to a thousand? Because, because you said you're different, yeah, right? It's, so it's, it's not. It's, I, I think it's iterative all the time, all the time. So it's just this constant game, yeah, constantly iterative. And so it. It, it goes to this idea of like when you were saying before, like I'm, I'm never, never satisfied with it. It's yeah. Like, well, another version of that is rather than saying you're never satisfied with it, it's like it's iterative. Once I get there. Then once I jump off, get to that jumping off platform, my field of vision will be different. Mm. I don't know what that field of vision is going to be. So let's just get there and then let's evaluate what that looks like. So there's only two things that are certain. Things will go wrong and you'll argue with people about it. They're the only two (laughs) guarantees that will happen. taxes, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, so the things to be good at is if the only two things are things will go wrong um, and you'll fight about it, the two skills you want to be really good at is conflict resolution mm. and redesign. Mm. And if you're good at conflict resolution and redesign, you're, all you're going to do is get, you don't have to get everybody all the way. You yeah. only have to get them to the next platform. One step at a time. That's right. Yeah. Now let's flip that scenario and we've got your appointed CEO in prep to sell a company, mm. right? So we're a thousand people strong company. I want to bring in this digital transformation that's going to automate it. I'm going to reduce my my staffing by 50%, you know, go down to 500 odd people and then we're going to make it look 
magnificent and great and then we're going to sell it because you're seeing a lot of that happening in the market right now so what 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 was your was your thought process as a ceo walking into that role so uh there's a bit in that in terms of if if selling the business is the goal then the who's buying it Mm. so because yeah the who's buying it is really important because that's who you're designing it for yeah, now. Yeah, that's true. Right? So um, and is it, understanding who's buying it and why uh, gets lost sometimes in this. So let's say the board has said we're selling. Yeah. They become obsessed with selling yeah. the business and getting it ready for sale, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because we want to exit. Cool. So tell me who in the marketplace is interested in giving money to you so you can exit and mm-hmm. they're left behind. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay, so you've actually got to build it for somebody yeah. who's going to buy it. And in terms of doing that, you've got to build value into the business that is valuable for them. Mm. So you've decided what your value looks like out of it. Yeah. It's going to be incompatible with the value that they're yeah. seeing in it. So just understand again. It's like the reverse of growth, right? Yeah. What's your growth language now? What's your exchange language? Because yeah. you're you're exchanging your business with somebody else. What's the exchange language looking like? So you design your business and your strategy for the exchange of value, um, and it's, that exchange is going to be different. Yeah. So in terms of that, I'd like to understand what the exit strategy actually looks like. What does the sale process actually yeah. look like? Who is that? Who that's going to be? If they need to see a track record of fat profit for a while, fine. Mm. You can recalibrate the business. You you look at what is the core competence of the business and what are the ancillary pieces of the business. Mm-hmm. You can work out what, what makes the profit of the business and you get rid of all the ancillary stuff. Now, will you have harmed the capacity of the business to diversify and or grow or do different things later? Yeah. But you've got a fat profit and you're exiting, so yeah, that's that's what well you're designing. Well, so. I'm I'm hearing in both answers is clarity, right? It's just create clarity about what the end game is. is always, it, yeah, that's it's always your starting point. It's what is the always end game? be clear, but also be clear. That the clarity is not certainty. Yeah, there's a big difference between yeah, okay. you know. It's all, always being clear is always communicating and always communicating what you're seeing and adjusting and mm-hmm. adjusting and adjusting, right? Mm-hmm. It's not certainty. The only certainty is things will go wrong and we will fight about it. <laughs> I love it. And you'll pay tax along the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am really looking at the clock here. I was going to ask a whole bit heap about VinoMofo, but I'm really interested in your role now as CEO of VinoMofo. By the way, I love the story of VinoMofo. I put a $300 order in last night. Well My favorite bit is the the Tom Hanks picture that comes up after you order it. Tom Hanks is one of my favorite uh, uh, actors, and yeah. every time that comes, I think that's why I buy it because yeah. I'm going to see his picture saying to, uh, saying thanks, thanks to me. T Hanks. Um, the uh, and I, and I know the story. You were uh, you know Andre and um, and Justin quite well, and you have through their career. And now you're you're the CEO. What is the growth aspirations for Vino Mofo? How do you plan on taking on this world? And I know the e-commerce world's facing some rough time at the moment, but you guys seem to be doing 
you know, pretty well amongst the uh, amongst it all. So can mm. you tell us about where you guys are at and what the what the future looks like? So Andre and Justin, when uh, and I knew the guys before they were Vino Mofo and um, when they were doing Road to Vino and, and before that. So, um, and, but they, I mean, they're they're amazing vision back then, and you've got to cast your mind back eleven years ago. Yeah, they 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 knew a, a fair bit about wine, and they loved wine. But they didn't. If if you think about the wine world back then, they didn't kind of look like wine no, people because no. wine snobs and that's why they're, and, they're the digital wine guys aren't they? Is well, that they? <laughs> their, their their first thing was like there's a whole bunch of people that would like to get involved in wine and like wine mm. but are intimidated by people speaking the about the posh. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's intimidating. They they wanted to create uh, an environment where you could say, I bought that wine because I like it. Mm. Why do you like it? Uh, can, can I just like it? Yeah. Is that all right? It's just a good taste, yeah. Yep. Um, so It makes, you know, makes me feel good. <laughs> or, you know. The label impressed my mates. Yeah, I, you know, there's <laughs> that's right. There's a, there's a lot of stuff yeah, that, that gets caught it. up in wine wankery, right? Yeah. So <laughs> they wanted to blow that up. So they, 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 they this mantra of no bow ties, yeah. which stood for the you know the no imperious yeah. snotty yeah. and no BS. Yeah, um, like call it out. Yeah, and, and 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 do that. So getting rid of wine wankery, and now and, and they and the name itself, right? Wine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's <laughs> exactly right. It's it's a it's a reverent. Yeah. But always our focus is on good wine. Yeah. Right? So it's good wine always. So we don't sell s- stuff that you won't like. Yeah. And we put a lot of energy into making sure that we buy yeah. really well and wine that you're going to like. Yeah. Oh, my favorite is the black market special because I don't know how to pick wine. But yeah. So the black market one's kind of like, well, I'll let you guys do it and it will be a surprise when it rocks up on my door. Yeah, <laughs> and lots of our competitors do this secret secret um, product, right? Yeah. And where they fail because we put so much energy into getting black market yeah. right and where the others fail is they put – like it's genuinely a surprise. Are you about to give away your secrets, right? No. <laughs> okay, good. Because uh, it, it, the secret is really simple. Yeah. Make sure – that the wine that's in the secret deal is the best wine you've got. Yeah. So when somebody opens the packet, and they go, "Holy smokes!" Yeah. It's, how did this is awesome? Yeah. How did how did they get that for that yeah. price? It's not sort of like, oh yeah, or yeah. it's not unknown. Yeah. Like um, it's got to be good. And you've got to get it right. I'm interested because I know uh, a very good friend of mine, um, and our kids go to school together. Is a CEO of uh, of a company, a wine company, and I I have. I don't want to drop names in there, but it's the um, his wine or the company's wine uh, arrives on my doorstep. I'm like, how did how can I buy this for half the price than what I can get it from you? From he's like, I don't know how they do it either. So, <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you that. Um, I think it's brilliant. I, yeah. I mean, the CEO can't even get it for me the price that you guys can. I think it's yeah. wonderful. That's yeah. why I buy everything through you. So yeah, we 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 buy well. We put a lot of energy mm. into doing that and and staying true to um, uh, what our customers are looking for, which mm. is really good wine mm. at a at a good price. It's brilliant. And so the guys, um, again, 10 years later, there's heaps of people doing that. And, in fact, the wine, the language used around the wine world now mm. is, is different as well. So that's all changed. And so we've got this really great 
disruption story where there was a market ready for disruption. It was new to e-commerce. It was new. It was, it was inviting to new people to come in. But now there's lots of access. Yeah. So th- the challenge for us now is like who are we and, and what's our plan to, to, to grow going forward? Yeah. One of the things as a business and, and e-com has, is seeing this around the place at the moment is COVID got everybody online and got yeah. used to people buying online. All that. So they're also pretty expert at buying yeah. online. What a lot of e-commerce companies didn't really use the opportunity for is to go, how do we use this rush and this bounty? What are we going to learn from it? Because oh. it's going to go away. Yeah, and yeah. people, it was amazing when you know at the start of it, it was the the language, particularly around bankers and investors, is like like this is going to last forever, mm. and it's kind of like you know when you see a professional sports person who, as a professional athlete, has been a super athlete when they were young, and then they get paid a lot, and, and then, then all of a sudden they then it's you. gone, yeah. and now they can't get a job for even a tenth of what yeah. they were getting paid. Yeah. But you see that as also like the oh, bricks and mortar are dead, right? That, that, that was yeah. the language that was coming out yeah. at that time, correct? Bricks and mortar is definitely yeah. not dead yeah. um, because yeah. bricks and mortar is where people interact. It's Exactly. So That's, People go for an outing, don't they? Yeah, mm. that human connection. Mm. Two years down into to, to COVID, uh, sort of restrictions, people that's what people really craving now mm. was that real yeah. connection. Yeah, but they kind of like the online version too. It's, got, it's not. There's this, this notion that everything's going to reset back yeah. to where it was. It's never going to go back no. there, but it's not going to stay here either. No. So we we started a reform process in 2019. Then COVID happened. We kept that reform process going throughout the pandemic. Obviously, we the numbers went all up. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were using that time to get ready to sustain that on the other side. Mm. And part of that was making sure that our business model was focused on what in, in really simple terms is making sure we have a buoyant boat. Yeah. Now yeah. that sounds pretty no. simple, right? Yeah. But if if on the other side of the pandemic there's going to be a downturn in market conditions, I don't know, like now, mm. and you weren't investing in making sure you've got a buoyant boat, in fact you've got a leak in your boat, because you, you're, be you're saying, trouble. "Well, we're not going to make profit. We're going to we're going to lose money, but keep growing." Now, you're going to just lose money because you're not going to keep growing because yeah. you're going you're churning all of those customers now, and you're having to with the death of the cookie and and um, paid channels getting more expensive. Everything is now conspiring against that strategy. Mm-hmm. So, if you still have that strategy, now. You, you got a hole in the boat. Yeah. And yeah. now where are the investors going to come along? Where's, the, where's your high growth froth, frothy story and yeah. the investors are going to pay? It's gone. It's gone. You so we boat, focused yeah. on making sure that um, we have we still deliver really good product to for our customers and that our business is, is buoyant and uh, whether our competitors can adjust fast enough to – to, to continue to offer that kind of value will be up to them. Mm. But we're in a position now where we can continue on the other side and we're still growing. Mm. We're talking to some guys in the States and they're saying if, if, if their e-com company can do 
COVID numbers less 5% at the moment, they will have had a really good year. We're, we're not going to be 10 or 15%, but we're, we're still growing the business Brilliant. post-COVID by, by, again, though, doing the basics really yeah. well. And it's a fun and innovative it's so fun. experience. Like it's, you, and we've you, got you some feel really that. So you feel that as an as a, as a like my client experience with Vino Mofo is that these guys or these this business or an organization has that they, 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 I want to buy from them because it like for me it attracts it, that that type of language that you use and the the experience that you get when you click it on the site is something that you know sings out. To you me. can see that everybody who works here loves this. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Like we've got a. We got a bar in the middle of the office, yeah, it's uh, and, and we so we taste all of the the wine. We don't just we don't, if you're a winemaker, we're not just uh, a marketplace where we're dumping your your, your wine. And for uh, as a customer, there's, there's not some wine that no one's tasted. Like we love this. We've yeah. we've tasted a hundred of yeah. them, and only five of them got through to the site, yeah. and they're the ones that we love. Isn't that amazing? And it comes through in the language. Not only you're looking for clients, like this is the beauty of what you guys have created. Not only you're looking for customers to buy. But you're actually looking like wineries are saying, can we sell through you or can we come to you? You know, you're turning people away because you want that quality. Most of it away. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, most of it Kudos away. Kudos to you guys and the, and the team out there. Oh, thank you. We, we love it. I am conscious you have to shoot off in a minute yep. uh, to uh, catch up with a, a man that I absolutely love. Um <laughs> Mr. Andrew Nunn, are you? Um, I'm going to jump into some quick fire questions. I had a whole bunch of questions that we didn't get to. Maybe we can do a round two one day. Uh, but let's jump into the quick fire questions uh, to round off the podcast. What are you reading right now? I've just finished reading um, Pyramid of Lies, which is the story of um, Greensill. Yeah, wow. I could not put that so down. So Pyramid of Lies. It's called Pyramid of Lies. Brilliant. Um, okay. Uh, Lex Greensill won the EY Entrepreneur of the Year um, in 2019 and that was the year that I was in the finals as well yeah. and I can remember going, man, this guy's so brilliant because I don't understand a thing that he's talking about. <laughs> um, it turns out <laughs> that lots of other people didn't understand that yeah. either. But it, yeah. that's, I couldn't put that down. And so since I finished that last week and I just started um, Peter Fitzsimons' Eureka. Okay. Um, which is obviously yeah, the history of yeah, the Peter Lawler and the yeah. Eureka Stockade. Brilliant. Uh, what is one book? And let's talk about it from a leadership uh, point of view. What is one book that stood out for you? Uh, this is going to sound so not academic, but it's uh, is Who Moved My Cheese. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that for some reason. I don't know. When the moment <laughs> – by Spencer Johnson. Yeah. It's a ripper. It is a ripper. It's one of my – I love it. Yep. It is because it, it just explains the – Everything that's going wrong will come from that, comes down to you and mismanaging a, that. I got my daughter to read it to me, right? Yeah. Like that's, it's such an easy read. My 10-year-old daughter, I'm like, you got to read this book. And she had no idea what it was about. But then we now she's understanding it. It's, it's yeah, mm. back to basics, isn't it really? Super. Because it's, it's people that will mess up your great plans. 100%. I love it. I love it. Um, what's one lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? A lesson that's been, oh, gosh, um, to that I'm good enough. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That, that internal narrative like 
to, to actually believe that I'm good at this mm. and I'm allowed to say that. I don't have mm. to constantly be dissatisfied. Mm. I'm not sure that I've 100% learned that, but I'm yeah. coming to the – but, yeah, that's taken a long time because that's, that's – it's really um, – it pushes you really well sometimes and mm. it doesn't push you well other mm. times. Do you think when you say I'm good enough – I have a binary vision point on that because I think if I say I'm good enough, then I stop trying to grow. Yeah, no, I think of good enough. Am I good enough today? Uh, uh, okay. I'll be better tomorrow. Yeah. But I, am I good, I'm good enough, enough today? today? And there are days when as a CEO, you know, you haven't done a good job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've – and you can, sometimes you can string a few days together where you yeah. haven't done a good job. It's a week or yeah. – and. And people see it, and yeah. you think that they don't, and you think you've got to hide it, and all mm. that sort of stuff. I've sort of got uh, old and experienced enough to go, guys. I'd, I'd reckon last week wasn't my best week, but next week's going to be a better one. Mm. Um, so thanks for backing me up on that one. Mm. And, and you can for, for people to go, oh, okay, so you could see it too. Yeah, and you're not kidding yourself. Yeah, they're more likely to keep. Well, it just shows the maturity as yeah. well, and the vulnerability piece is, is yeah. what people are after. Yeah, if you're. <laughs> Yeah, we don't need to go down that. Like good enough today. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, brilliant. Good enough today. Three people. If you could invite three people for dinner, who would they be? Um, uh, my late father, um, I would. Uh, mm-hmm. He used to always, he would sit at the table and he would be the last one to speak. He wouldn't have spoken all night and he would listen to everybody and then somebody at the end of the night would say, well, what do you think? And he it would be mind-blowing mm. what his observations of, the whole conversation. I love so people like that. It, I, I try to be that person. I just I, I try to, but he <laughs> he was he he was amazing yeah. um, at that. Um, uh, I would have um, I would have Andrew Nunn <laughs> because he, absolutely he's, ripping. <laughs> he's so. I mean, he's just he's so smart. He's such a good human. Yeah. He's so energetic. Um, and it'd be really interesting to ask my dad what he thought of <laughs> that uh, at the end. <laughs> well, he wouldn't. Um, Andrew Andrew's been on this podcast, and he can he can talk. So your dad would have a lot to listen to. Yeah, uh, but, <laughs> oh, and like everything that comes out of Andrew's mouth is gold. Yeah. Trust me, we've, it's probably one of our most downloaded podcasts, and the amount of feedback that we got back from him was great. But, yeah, yeah, oh, that'd be. Um, he's, yeah, he's, he's he's joined my invite list too. I reckon of late. <laughs> yeah, he, I, I think he'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think I think someone like uh, and politically, I didn't necessarily agree with lots of things that she did, but I, I would be super interested to have Julia Gillard there mm. in that because it. Do you know her? Nope. No, but I she. You know, she 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 was a person who, at a point in time in our history, was just at she whether she was at the inflection point or she was the inflection point. Mm. But she's so important in our Australian history. Whether or not you, you politically agree with her is, is irrelevant. Yeah, um, I think she was in. She's an important person mm. in our Australian history, and I would just love to understand mm. more of what her experience was. Yeah. I'm trying so hard to get her on this podcast. She would be awesome. Yeah. She's amazing. Uh, if you had access to a time machine with one trip 
Like it's a one-way trip. So you're up and back and that's it. Where would you go? <laughs> um, I think I'd go I'd, I'd go back to the 70s, some, some point in time in the mid-70s. Is that when you had hair or no? Oh, yeah, I definitely had hair then. Um, but I, it, because I think there was, there was a lot, it was pre, it was, you know, when Microsoft was emerging, mm. when Apple was emerging. Yeah. Um, it was, everything was pre-digital in, in yeah. a real sense, but just about on the cusp yeah. of, of that. So experience. you go back, set up a couple of stocks. Oh yeah, yeah. totally would invest in Microsoft <laughs> and Apple, right? Absolutely, and, and, and pull that out of HP and put it. Yeah, in, yeah, but brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Um, if you actually, I forgot to ask you a question. What's some of the best advice that you've ever received? Um, <laughs> just, just decide. Yeah. Um, just be a CEO. Just, just be a good CEO. <laughs> yeah. Just decide. I love it. But if the you, other one was my grand, my Scottish grandmother saying, "Don't ask poor people how to make yeah, money." Yeah, that's yeah. not about poor people. That's really about don't don't listen to people who don't know. Yeah, exactly. Test it, it first, and it's, it goes to the whole surround yourself with people that you know. Don't be the smartest person in the room. All, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. I love that stuff. If you could, uh, if you had, if so, your house was on fire. Your your, your family, your pets, they're all safe, and you would run back in to save one thing, what would that one thing be? I have a book there that was given to my dad in 1949 when he was on a ship and it's it's a leather-bound book called uh, Treasury of the Familiar mm. and it's got an inscription in there and, and interleaved in the things and notes from my dad or exchange between my dad and I. But the book is all great verse, Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling and WH Owen and all of the great sayings is in this old leather-bound book. It's the only possession that I would go and grab. Yeah, so good. Mm. Oh, I'd love to read it. Uh, if you had one super how, one superhero power, what would it be? Um, I think it would – I don't know there's one because it's sort of like <laughs> a combination of them all. Um, but I, I guess it would be, for me, it'd be being impervious to <laughs> impervious to damage. Um, oh yeah, like a Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so being, the, the being constantly resilient. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. ability to constantly reheal. That's so good. That's different. We've never had that before. Mm. Everyone says fly and you know boring old stuff. <laughs> well, I think at the beginning of the podcast, I said if you decide to be the CEO, you've made a decision that you can soak up more punishment than yeah, most people around you. That's true. So I would imagine that the most powerful superpower is regeneration, is how right? To how to yeah. take the pain and recover. Brilliant. Now, I flicked you this before. Have you, did you have, bring a dad joke. I've got my favourite dad oh, joke. My kids, my kids you hate it. You can't be work, CEO of Vino Mofo and not have a dad joke. So... <laughs> How much does it cost for a pirate to get his ears pierced? How much? <laughs> a buccaneer. <laughs> so two dollars. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a great privilege. Yeah, and look, thank you for um, your knowledge and your wisdom and your experiences, and you know, sharing 
everything that you've learned, well, not everything, sharing a lot that you've learned along your journey today. I know I'm going to take, or I can't wait to re-listen to this back and take some of those lessons away. And and for all the people that you help, I know that you've said to me previously, you love helping CEOs and young up-and-comers and, and people who are struggling in these roles. And and it seems like you're doing some amazing things out there, not only with Vino Mofo, but with other for, you know, up-and-coming businesses. So, um Thank you for everything that you bring into this world. I think if you're not doing that, you're not use, you're not reflecting on your own performance. If you don't understand what makes you perform, mm. um, then you can't repeat it. So yeah. mentoring and supporting other people is as much about you understanding what works um, as it is sharing with them. So yeah. it's if anybody who's not doing that, you know, again, lots of reasons to look skeptically sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you very much for having me. No, brilliant. I'll uh, I'll be uh, picking your brain on some things to come. No no problems at all. But thanks for your time. Uh, where can we find you if people want to get in contact with you, follow you? It's, uh, you can easily find me on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, at um, or just through look me up on my name yep. uh, or shoot me an email at yep. paul.edgington at vinomofo.com. Yeah, great. And I'm always happy to. To, uh, to answer questions. And you're pretty prolific on Twitter too, I see. You've got a few followers there. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I, I read it. I don't know if I tweet too much that's profound, yeah. but um, by the time I do, I, I, I put up and then delete a lot. I do. <laughs> Retweet? No, I shouldn't no, read I'm it. not going to say that. So, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, loved having you on. Thanks again um, and wish you all the best. And thank you, thank you everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care guys. All the best. All the best.